fourth church in the book of Revelation is the church in Sardis, and they are given a stark warning to wake up and repent. This church it has a fascinating history and one that is very relevant to this message of wake up and repent. And as we come to study it today and we look to where we're at in the modern day and age, we can rest assured that the sentiment of this church is alive and well. So today we're going to look at the history behind this church and examine the scripture and everything we find out about the church in Sardis, which is the fifth church there in the book of Revelation, and we're going to have a good time. So thank you for joining us. We are Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are a few others with me today in Cord Purgatory. Who all's in the studio today? I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. All right. Well, Pastor Amanda, why don't we go ahead and get started by reading the scripture on this one? I think it'll be good for the course of our conversation to read that on the front end and then come back and look at the history. Sure. All right. So this is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and it reads as follows. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then that what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Yet you have still a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. All right, Pastor Amanda, there's a lot of mysterious things in there, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> many of us in within the Christian faith, we like things where there's mystery. We like to watch things like Poirot. We like to read Agatha Christie novels. And there's always a, a interest when it comes to things that are mysterious. But when we come to the scripture, there really are some tangible things we can learn. But at the same time, there are elements of it which are still relevant today because the mystery still remains and how Christ is going to come and really adjudicate all of this. So let's talk a little bit about the background of this church. And again, there's a lot of fascinating things here which kind of explain some of the mysterious language we find here. But at the same time, they still leave us in a place where we have questions. And we'll get to all that after we talk about the history. So Sardis, it is an ancient city, and it's one that dates back more than 500 years by the time of this revelation. And it's located only 30 miles away from Thyatira. And we got a map where you can see as the book of Revelation proceeds, it goes through a variety of different churches. And Thyatira, which is the one we talked about last week, it is the fourth church. It's only about 30 miles away from where we're at here today in Sardis. So that's not too far along. Um, I know many of us, we, we go to Walmart and we probably walk 30 miles just trying to, to find a single item sometimes, and I know that's a bit of a joke. Probably not a good one. People are going to fire us over that, but whatever. Um, 30 miles is a reasonable distance. I mean, many of us, we drive that much easily in a car, and I don't know many of us who would want to walk 30 miles in one stint, but it is possible. You could travel 30 miles on foot. Would you all agree with that? Is that a fair assessment of it? Yeah. yeah. It's... It's a, it's a reasonable distance, but it's not impossible well, to say, yeah. I came from Thyatira down to Sardis. Like, it's kind of what we're looking at. So, I bring that up because all these churches, they're under John the Apostle. He's kind of an apostle to Asia Minor, so they're all relevant. They're all connected with one another. They're not just out there, mysterious, random places. There is a logical coherence between them. But Thyatira, 
was located in between some opportune real estate and that kind of made it valuable. But Sardis itself is at a place where rather than being in between places, it itself is a very desirable location. It's located on the top of really some cliffs and it's kind of got a natural fortress just because of its geography. And Dad, I know you've done a little bit of research into the history of Sardis, so would you share some of that with us? Yeah, Sardis, well, you know, it had been a capital of, uh, of a great kingdom of Lydia, and one of the it was one of the oldest and most important cities of Asian Minor. Um, over the years, it just had to be, you know, the, the eyes of Rome and Persia would have lusted over this city, um, and it was inland. It was built on a small elevated plateau which rises sharply above the, uh, I think it's pronounced Hermas Valley. Um, and on all sides, just like you said, there were rock walls, uh, very, very perpendicular um, and extremely smooth, almost unscalable to say. And uh, the only access to this was on the southern side, which was very, you know, difficult and steep as well, but it was manageable to get up uh, to the city through there. So there was one way into the city, and so it had a natural fortress, and uh, it was in a strategic location. And it makes it almost impossible to be penetrated by enemy forces. Uh, however, more than once the city was penetrated because they were asleep at the watch. So Sardis, um, you know, that you can hear that in the letter that Christ uh, has for them. So Sardis was a wealthy city. Um, it was conquered by Cyrus and then Alexander the Great and also by Antiochus. Uh, according to Pliny, the place where the seat of licentious worship or Sybil, Diana or Apollo, what, different names there. Uh, and it was the ruins um, of the temple are still there. Um, for some scholars, they call it the city of death, um, the city of softness, luxury, uh, apathy, immorality. It was a contrast between um, splendor and then at the time of this writing, it, it had fallen into extreme decline. All right, so we've got that contrast of splendor and unresting decline. Amanda, does that sound like modern cities today? <laughs> I was about to say, I, th I think we you don't have to travel too far. I mean, as much as Nashville is growing and, and booming, uh, there are places in Nashville that are also uh, decaying. So yeah. just, yeah. You almost wonder, is that every city ever? Yeah. There, there's some splendid signs of things and then also some decline. You kind of, this is a recurring thing throughout history. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. So the geographical location of this made it a place of wealth and prosperity, and that's simply because it's positioned high above its surrounding areas, and it also had several roads that were trade routes coming through it. So it had some control of trade. It had a lot of things really placing it for wealth and material wealth at that. And as opposed to Thyatira, the fourth city, which was positioned kind of at a place primed for destruction, Sardis was elevated to a, a position that made it almost impossible to penetrate. But nonetheless, as Pastor Mike had alluded, there was a few things fascinating about this city. And you mentioned Cyrus the Great, uh, Alexander the Great, Antiochus. It was conquered several times. But Cyrus the Great had a really fascinating way that he really first penetrated the city. And that's about 500 years before this revelation. So that's about 2,500 years before where we're at now here in the modern day and age. But Cyrus the Great, he looks at, at Sardis and he says, you know, it'd be great if we could 
take this city. It's important. It's kind of the capital of Lydia. It's got a lot of wealth. It'd be great if we could have this. But he's looking at it and it's up on top of these cliffs and nobody can really do anything. And so he tells the soldiers, he says, look, <clears throat> if we can figure out a way, if, if any of you watching the city figures out a way for us to get up there, I'll give you a big reward. So all the eyes of these soldiers are looking up at Sardis, trying to figure out how they're going to do this. And one of them is watching and up there, there's a soldier on top of the city. He's kind of in a fortress place where he's visible to those below him, but he's kind of keeping watching. He drops his helmet and his helmet comes tumbling all the way down the cliff, all the way down to the bottom. Now, most of us would probably say it's a lost cause. I mean, I don't know about Pastor Man, are you going to climb down a whole cliff to where no. an invading army is sitting <laughs> if you drop <laughs> your helmet? helmet? No. It must have been like he must have gotten in trouble a lot yeah. for losing his helmet. I, I can only imagine. Like yeah. There were, there were grave consequences for him to try to go all the way down for a helmet. Anthony? You never know. Maybe he had a bad habit of doing that. And they were like, you know what? We've made you five helmets. <laughs> this stuff is scarce. Go get that helmet. Yeah, if you yeah. lose one more, you lose your head. Yeah, yeah. It, it's your <laughs> head or that helmet. One of them <laughs> one of them is going to be um, answered for. So anyway, this guy's like, ah, i got to go down there and get my helmet. So he climbs all the way down the cliff. Again, with an army kind of watching this happen. But the soldier that watches it down, he says, well, we need to take note of this. Because this unscalable cliff, it actually has a very... It's a tedious communication, but it can be taken if we, we study this carefully and commit it to memory. So he watches this, they get it down, and then they kind of go and tell Cyrus and say, hey, we can kind of get up here at night. And so a, a group of select soldiers at night, they go up this same route. And again, everybody in Sardis, they think, well, nobody can climb up here, but they had already betrayed their own weakness. They went down there to get the helmet, or that one guy did. But you talk about being a, a mega doofus then. Not if only are you known for <laughs> dropping your helmet to the point where they make you do it. You also show the invading army how to get into your city. The um, one path, the singular one path to get into your The yeah, singular city. <laughs> one path. Yeah, you betrayed that um, by accident. So, yeah. Being, he, he definitely lost his head. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, definitely needs to um, be removed from his position. Um, so they come up and they take the city. And it happened at night. They didn't think anybody could take advantage of their weak points. And that happened. Now, this is actually important to the spiritual nature of the church, too. We'll get back to that. They didn't think they needed to fortify their weak points. And they didn't mind revealing their weak points because they were confident with themselves. And it turned into tragedy. Now, Alexander the Great, a couple hundred years later, conquers them. And then it happens again with Antiochus. So this story, it happens again and again with the city. So they knew what it was like to be conquered on account of being asleep and not fortifying your weak spots. But there were some other things going on here too. Sybil worship, and I know we mentioned that temple of Artemis. Pastor Amanda, would you tell us a little bit about Sybil worship? Right. Okay. Well, and for some clarification, there's uh, the word Sybil um, you may have heard in various other um, contexts. There, I know if it starts with an S, um, that was a, kind of the fake name given to a lady that was supposedly had multiple personalities disorder and apparently it was a whole a book and got turned into multiple movies. So you may have heard about that. Um, and this is obviously not that Sybil. And then also in ancient Greek, there was a Sybil that also was spelled with an S that was referenced kind of to um, prophetic fortune-telling uh, priestess or pro prophetesses. I don't know how you pluralize that word, but anyways, um, and uh, that actually transcended many religions. E there was apparently even a Jewish uh, Sybil who prophesied uh, that the emperor would become Jewish. 
Um, and although that didn't really happen, she did prophesy in the early 300s, like 306 or something like that. And shortly after that, uh, Constantine became a Christian. So yeah. take that as you will. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so this is a different Sybil than even that. So this is Sybil and it's spelled with uh, a C-Y. And it is a specific uh, goddess that originated in Asia Minor. Um, she was kind of the god or the, the uh, goddess of the earth, the kind of the mother of earth. Uh, she would, as the Greeks and then the Romans would conquer this area, they would identify her with um, a Dementor, who is the goddess of the harvest, or they would, because uh, she was also the goddess of wild animals, she got kind of tied in with Artemis, who, and then her Roman counterpart as Diana. Uh, her lover would be kind of uh, also tied with, or son, depending on which uh, myth you, you read, uh, would be tied with Apollo or Adonis. And so kind of, well, ancient, uh, gr the Greeks and Romans were really great at synthesizing uh, yeah. or syncretizing, sorry, <laughs> syncretizing. Um, I'm not so sure they were good with synthesizers, but anyways, uh, they're really good at should syncretizing. should check out their, their albums on their <laughs> yeah. old Yamaha DX7s and their, their Korg Poly 800s. Obviously, that's what they would have. No, yes, but they yes. were really, the Greeks and the Romans understood if you could conquer not only a people, but conquer their religion. And you could conquer their religion more by saying, join us, or you're really actually, like, you think you're worshiping, uh, you think Sybil, but really you're worshiping uh, Demeter or Diana. Um, then all of a sudden you, you kind of co-opted them, and then all of a sudden they don't want to fight you anymore because you haven't stolen their religion. You have you have actually elevated and you know, this, it to theirs. This is actually pretty important to the whole Pax Day Orm that they had because mm -hmm. this is actually pretty fundamental to how Rome believed and sincerely believed they would keep peace. Yeah. Is if you just have all these gods appeased. Well, if somebody's worshiping every god uh, and you're not, then if that god does exist, then they're not going to do the bad things that they would do if you weren't worshiping them. So, yeah, they felt like they kind of like had all their uh, bases covered. Yeah. So it sounds to me like Sybil and even Artemis are kind of your base pagan gods. Yeah. They, uh, some elements of fertility in there, some elements well, yeah. of agriculture. <laughs> like you know, like, like all gods. Yeah, like all gods. Uh, you appease them for life, whether yeah. that was life through your harvest or life through your um, human reproduction, whatever that was. And they'll appease, appease you with a little life. sin too. Oh, yeah. A little sin mixed in That's, there. I will say, in all our research, probably the word I read the most was frenzied, and, and, and specifically to civil worship. It was very frenzied. It was very frantic. It was very chaotic. Um, and yet uh, it was a, a, a worship that attracted um, not a lot of people. It was one of the lesser known uh, goddesses that got kind of syncretized into Greek and Roman mythology. But uh, it, those who wanted to worship her worshiped her very uh, charismatically, I guess is the best sure, word. Sure. <laughs> and there was a temple of Artemis there too, which mm -hmm. was pretty important in the ancient world. I believe there's still ruins of it that are visible today. And I know we've got some images of things to pull up for that. But again, you see these ancient temples. If you were in the church of Sardis, you would have known this history of, of people coming in the middle of the night. You know, scriptures actually reminds us of this Christ coming like a thief in the night. If you were there in this church, you would have known a very realistic story where people came in the middle of the night and overtook your town. Like this, this had happened times and time again for these people. Um, so it was pretty, pretty important for them. Um, and on that point, Take, for instance, I know Trinity has a history where it burned twice. If you are here in the Nashville, Middle Tennessee area, it was actually on the news for burning twice. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody comes in to you or you get a letter, say you get a revelation from Christ himself, like through John, and says, I'm going to make you a song. I never will forget how the fire fell. <laughs> Would that be kind of personally relevant to y'all at Trinity? 
Mm. Yeah, it'd be a little spooky. Um, well, maybe not spooky because it was on the news. Lots of people knew. But we were actually struck by lightning at least three times. We think there may mm-hmm. have even been a fourth time it was struck yeah. by lightning. But, yeah, it burned twice. Um, well, the reason why it would be spooky is because it was so relevant, Yeah, right? no, there would definitely be a clear... And we actually have a discussion like that almost every Pentecost when we when we sing songs about the Holy Spirit and, of course, the fire settling on the believers. Uh, I don't think we've sung that song because it is so... Uh, there's there's a little bit of a, a twitch that comes when you start yeah. talking about things and, like that. And if you're in the Church of Sardis, when you hear that language of wake up, <coughs> there should be a little twitch with that. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Um, some doofus dropped his helmet and had us conquered. And and, th- and then Alexander the Great comes and then Antiochus comes. Like, you, you should have that little twitch that says, oh, yeah, we, we actually do need to wake up because somebody is looking at the door, you know? I think I remember some scripture from this, from Genesis 4. You know, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to come in and have you. It wants to consume you. It wants to possess you. It wants to take you. Um, Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. Again, that verse, which is Revelation 3, 2, that you see here given to this church, wake up, strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, that is very relevant to this congregation. Very, very relevant. So again, there's some some mystery to that, which we can explain. But at the same time, is that sentiment gone? Don't people still do that today? They kind of think, well, you know, my generation is unique. That sin, it's not going to be a problem for us. Or people do this a lot. I know we talked about how so many of the pagan gods, they have their, really their sexual immorality coupled with them. But so many times people get involved with something like that. And they say, well, that's the sin I can handle. Like I, I can I can look past that, the these things in my life. Um, but would y'all not say that is still alive and well? Hence why this this message to this church is so powerful to us today. Well, and this is why kind of overarching the book of Revelation with all its mystery is so relevant. It speaks to very specific historical contexts and yet also some, some great uh, timeless universal truths and this call to wake up, especially I think in churches that have, and this is these are to churches that are a little bit more settled than most of our New Testament letters, um, but for us today, those of us who are in churches that have been maybe have a long history and a long uh, tradition, we need to hear this every generation or really almost every day. Yep. Not, um, but the, this call to, to wake up. Yeah, so let's talk about a living death a little bit. So it talks about this. In Christianity, we hear this language of living death. And I'm reminded of the scripture in 1 John 3.14. And now this is not the gospel according to John, but it's the the first epistle of John, where it says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, if you're an early Christian and you hear this language of abiding in death, you hear something like that, you hear this this message that Jesus is giving them here in what we have as the book of Revelation, but you hear this message, this letter to this church, and this idea of living in death, it's something which is actually pretty common in Christianity and especially in early Christianity. There's a book called the Didache, which is an ancient handbook in the church. It was not the Bible before the Bible. It was never meant to be scripture. It was meant to be like a handbook. If you're in the church in the Nazarene, we have the Nazarene manual, which is meant to be a handbook. Um, Christians, they use a lot of things that are supplemental tools like devotionals. Sometimes we read things like the Chronicles of Narnia. It's obviously meant to be supplemental to the Christian walk, but it's not the Bible itself. The Didache was a book that was like that. And it talked about the way of life and the way of death. And it had that in there. Anthony? Um, I was just going to say that, I mean, it's basically every church structure really has something similar to it. Um, 
the Didache, it has some theological things. It has lots of things for practice. It has things for selecting leaders in the church. Yep. Um, those three things are very, very common for pretty much any church. And even if your church is not part of a larger denomination, I can almost guarantee you it has a structure of church government somewhere. Sure, sure. And some statements of belief. So, you're, so this is not yeah. some unholy man-made, uh, <laughs> forbidden, Yeah, like say you're a Baptist thing. church. You've probably got a website that does something to this effect. Right, Anthony? That's kind of what yeah, you're hinting at? Yeah, pretty much. Like, it, it's either going to be a website. There's going to be some documentation for saying, this is how we do things, and it's because of what we think the Scriptures say. And, you know, that's pretty much... And it usually has, this what, is what we what believe is. as part of that, too. Yeah, because what we believe founds what we do. Yeah, and and the Didache <laughs> follows that order too. It opens up saying this is what we believe. The opening statement in the Didache is there are two ways. The way of life, and can anybody guess the other way? The way of death. The way of death, yes. Um, we might have heard this in uh, Scripture somewhere. We might have heard yeah, this. He might have just read a verse. <laughs> I might have just read something of this. Hmm, where could that come from? So, anyways... The way of life, the way of death. If you were a Christian in the first um, century or even in the second century, you may not have access to all scriptures. And again, if you're here getting this revelation for the first time, you're not going to have read this, you know, countless times. But you would have heard the Didache. You would have heard and you probably would have heard sermons. You would have heard people talk about there are two ways, the way of life, the way of death. This idea of a living death, it was something which is pretty common and probably something we should talk more about in the, the Christian walk today. Because we're, we need to fortify our weaknesses. We, we, we need to wake up and realize there are people who are living the, the way of death. So that's something which is relevant to the early church too. And that would have been relevant to Sardis. They would have heard this before. They would have, have been familiar with this. So this is all things very relevant to them and still relevant to us today. So, Pastor Mike, let's come back to you. I know you had also done some research on the clothes of white and dye making. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the... Uh, the city there was a place where uh, they had developed a way of making wool white. And so, we, you know, typically when you bleach wool, we think of it being white. But in that time, the, the process that when they bleached it, wool would be more of a yellow color. But, color. but they, had, uh, they had, you know, refined this to getting a really white cloth, which was highly sought after. And it was, um, they developed this way of making you know, just a brilliant white clothing. There's no doubt that the city had, you know, a reputation um, from its past and had made a name for itself. And that's what, you know, when we do things in the name of, of Jesus or in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, it's really saying the reputation that our God delivers. And um, it's also a remembrance of our baptism, uh, that, that God is a God who brings us into new life. And so they had made a name for themselves of, you know, pure white material. And um, so they had done that in the past. And we know that making a name for yourself, just like today, is, is a reputation that you have. Sure. Um, they had a reputation of being alive as Christians. But now Christ clearly states, you are dead. Um, and so this, you know, as, as Christians, this is important for us to hear is we can't, you know, base our life and our salvation based on our past. We are called to live a life alive in Christ every day, refreshed and renewed, and realize that, yes, just like we can't fall asleep, um, that, that sin 
even though we believe in sanctification and the call to live a life sinless, that sin continues to try to enter into our life one way or another. We got to be alert, yeah. um, and and Satan will try to attack us. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and then there's this whole part about you know, um, you know, the Walking Dead, so to speak, where you know they're they're they are alive in the body, but they're and their words are not matching up with the life that they're living, and they're they're more or less like zombies. Yeah. That's not a good place to be, but there is hope for them. Mm-hmm. There is hope, and that—I mean, this—it sounds like a a brutal message. This here, this wake up. You know, we were talking when we were getting ready. I know you had pointed out the language for wake up is a command. Yeah, um, which generally, when somebody comes and tries to wake you up, it's a command. Yeah. Um, the grammar is in the infinitive, which is basically saying it's a command. It's this is a wake up. This is a glass of cold ice water thrown on someone. This is not a gentle. You know, wake up. Which now, this most is, of the time, when you're waking somebody up, it probably is kind of serious. Yeah. I know even when the dog wakes me up in the morning, he, which he sleeps in a kennel, he'll be in there, you know, making his squeaky bark sound saying, up, up, come on, time to get out. <laughs> but a couple of other things, too, while we're on this. So that's really what we wanted to talk about regarding Sardis. But uh, you, you mentioned remembering baptism. And that, if can we have a few seconds to do like a sidebar, go mm-hmm. on a little bit of a trail here? Bunny trail. When do we not? <laughs> Why not? Um, so the other day we had a theological conference where they were talking about different things going on in the Church of the Nazarene, trying to keep us all theologically a little unified, um, which we need more of. We need some some St. Nicholas's to go around and say, sometimes the only thing you respect is a, is a slap in the face, a knock your lights out and say, you're excommunicated. Bye, <laughs> Arian. But at the same time, um, one of the things that was really cool was they were talking about over, I guess, near Kansas City, there were several churches which had a, a baptismal font set up in the back of their sanctuary where people would come in and remember their baptism. Mm-hmm. And that sounded really foreign to me when I heard that. And I know a lot of Nazarenes would feel a little strange about something like that being in their sanctuary. But there is something about that which kind of wakes you up and says, I need to remember my baptism. What What are y'all thoughts about something like that while we're here? Anthony? Um, one of my professors was telling me about how uh, he grew up in the Lutheran church and how it was very, very common for them to start services by dipping their fingers into the bowl as they, co- as they go by and putting the water on their head in remembrance of their uh, baptism that they have been initiated into uh, the body of Christ. And I think it's a pretty good practice. Yeah. It, well, and I'd just like to say, you know, I also mentioned the... Uh, we often pray in the name of Jesus, the reputation, but um, we we pray and, and close that prayer in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, um, being of Trinity Church of the Nazarene. But that is um, a, it's not, there's no magic formula. I mean, you know, this are, these are rituals, but we do proclaim uh, the reputation of God in our baptism of being yeah. born into the kingdom. And so to remember that it's almost like celebrating your birthday and say, this is when I was born again into the kingdom. Sure. I come to be fed and nourished in, in another sacrament. And and you don't just have to be named Trinity to believe in the no, Trinity. No, you do the, not. And, God and has been revealed through three persons. God you, the Father, God the Son, I was about God to say, Mike, uh, I guess you guys own the Trinity now. Everybody else is going to have to go with the We haven't copyrighted it uh, yet. But I will say this. You know, that's what joins us together with brothers and sisters of different denominations and non-denominations is the fact that we believe in 
in the triune God. So we often pray in the, in the name of that, not that it's a magic formula, but it also states what we believe. Yeah. And, it, and it not only states about what we believe, it is that where we remember that we are born again. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, and I think that's what you're saying by the, in reference to the ritual of yeah. having the baptismal font it, outside. Absolutely. It's a statement of, uh, you know, our own reiteration of our birth into the kingdom of God. And these were Nazarene churches that they were talking about that had this. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, I, I don't know if we could pull that off here in Tennessee. Yes, you could. But Well, and we've done something like that. Not We don't have a baptismal font, but we have in some of our services, not a lot and not very often, but we've done it, uh, I think, at least twice. Uh, where instead of coming up for, uh, or while they've come up for communion, somebody has hold a cup of water and they've been anointed with the water and been told to remember their baptism. Fascinating. And yeah. um, I think we did that in conjunction with one, the lectionary was on uh, Jesus's baptism, baptism, which is like the second or third Sunday in January. But anyways, um, and I think something else I think Pastor Mike was hinting at was, you know, all of us have a birthday. Uh, but we have to continue living, right? Yeah. You can't just hold off and also connecting with what Pastor Dylan's talking about. We can't just hold on uh, to the passes. There's this continual, uh, you have to keep feeding yourself. You have to rest. You have to exercise. You have to work. There are things that you do that cultivates life and, and life abundantly. Yeah. And um, this church kind of, and again, this speaks not only to a historical church to almost 2,000 years ago, but to us today is not just to remember our baptism one day way back when, but that we have to have that life renewed in us daily, moment, yeah, uh, moment yeah. by moment. Um, and just something I, I picked up on the structure, even this letter speaks to how important this imperative of wake up is. Is yeah, Generally yeah. in the letters, there was the, the John would write a good thing about him, like I have this to your credit. And then he says, but work on this. Now, some there, there are some other letters that are a little bit different. So this church in Sardis being kind of the, the fifth one down the list would have realized uh, John did not start with the good thing. <laughs> he starts up with the call to wake up. Yeah. And he does later say, but some of you are, are still awake. But uh, this is how serious this call is and how yeah. slippery it, or how sneakily it can slip in um, because it, it's and he, it's amazing. Like you were talking about the living dead are going from life into death. Um, they were alive at one point, but now they're not. But there's still a call to repentance. But there is this kind of idea that it, it may not be as difficult as we, we think it is or wish it was that we could slip back into falling asleep or, or slip back into the way of yeah, death. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what you find from that story is you can find yourself in a big, big mess just by a simple thing of dropping a helmet, like the guy <laughs> on the thing. Like you've got your your lowest common denominator over there um, drops his helmet, you know, not not your your, you know, standard uh, soldier here, not your standard of Exodus, and drops it, and then suddenly the Hopefully whole Hopefully not, not the general, but... <laughs> you would hope so. You would hope not, but you never know. You it never may know. have been, though. You never know. But well, I would just like to add in there, too, that, um, you know, it, it, just, as we are born again with our baptism, that we are very young infant Christians and that we are called to grow. Uh, I think looking back at this... Uh, this scripture and this letter, um, you know, they're they're a place of extremely white clothing, and it says, you know, you've sold your clothing. You have yeah. remained in that infancy that you, you know, you got a dirty diaper. It needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. You need to be purified, and you need to grow 
in Christ and not just because if, if a if a baby is not fed and does not grow, it will die um, when it's born again. And so, uh, you know, I, th I think there is something about this name, something about this white that is very pertinent to the people that yeah. are living there. And it should be for us as well to hear the message that, hey, be on your guard, don't fall asleep, and grow in Christ. Um, you know, you find... You find um, hope in Christ Jesus, but the church is the body of Christ, and if you're a believer, you're part of that church, and when others are baptized, you should remember your own baptism. Yeah. Um, it, this is not just a personal event for that person, but it's for the whole congregation sure. that we're in this together, hold one another accountable, and the, you know, they are saying, there's, Christ says, there are few, there are some who have not soiled and that are still white. Uh, in their in their clothing yeah. um, that are pure. Praise God. Well, wrapping all our program up, final thoughts and final question. Is this church alive and well today? And you can do with ever, whatever you want to with that, that question. Pastor Amanda? Um, well, I mean, I, I think the elements of this church are still alive. I think the call that is given to this church is very much still needed. Um, it's um you know i was recently talking to my mom who who's a minister and um my dad who's also a minister and they, they were talking about kind of history and legacy of churches and it, it does seem like uh, some churches with long legacies and histories often have uh, not only the great traditions of that history but sometimes the great baggage um mm -hmm. and, and with all that heaviness there comes this uh temptation to kind of sit back and fall asleep and because it's hard work uh, yeah. to participate in the life of the church. It's sure, not easy. Sure. Um, and so there there does need to be this reminder. And also, it, like, in, in, in this language of conquering is given several times in many of these letters. Um, conquering is not an easy thing. It's not a simple task. But if you do wake up, if you do repent, and then in the end you conquer, not because of your own strength, but through, through God, if you conquer, to you is these magnificent gifts. Sure. Pastor Mike? Oh, definitely, it is alive, and you know one of the the great things is is um, that this gives us some some direction. Uh, wake up! This is not the idea of you are saved and you're good. You know, this is a one-time event, but that you are part of a very uh, much living body of Christ that you need to be serving in that body, and um, you know you need need to be a part. Uh, and there is some good news that there it. Anytime we serve in a body, there's going to be some some conflict and even a little uh, resistance and sandpaper among personalities and things. But the good news is we can be unified in Christ, and uh, it takes some hard work. It takes being forgiving. It takes staying awake and not allowing sin to enter in. But yes, it is it is very much alive. Anthony, what do you think? Oh, uh, yes, it is certainly alive. Something that I think is kind of funny is that a lot of times pe some people that are really, really easy to make fun of are people who are very concerned about the last days. I think um, we were in a store looking, uh, it was McKay's. I don't know if people know that name it's universally. It's a used bookstore. Yeah, it's a used bookstore. So, um, books, everybody seems CD. to know about it except for me. And so uh, we were there and I was just looking around through the Christian section and I was like, oh, Ed Times. All right, so let's take a little little look at this and uh i mean it was kind of fun honestly <laughs> and um 
I think a lot of times it's easy to make fun of people who are very, very especially concerned with the end times. But something that I do have to applaud them for is their faithful response. And I think that we can have that faithful response without uh, knowing the time or the hour or even the season in that we don't know whenever Christ is going to be coming back. And he is going to come back like a thief in the night. And so stay diligent. Yeah. And I would encourage um, Christians to respond faithfully to that. Certainly. And especially when you're in the church and you're trying to, to be a a discerning, critical thinker, because Christ does want us to be critical thinkers. I mean, whole big element of, of what Jesus is teaching is that you as an individual, you have agency. You need to make a choice. It doesn't matter what group you're with. You need to be someone who's living right. Um, and Jesus wants to reconcile our relationship with, with God for sure. And what we find happening in the churches, when we see things like somebody throw their helmet off the cliff, you know, tell people, don't, don't. Nehemiah, don't get off the wall and go care about them making fun of you. Don't go down there. Like, no. We need, we need to, as the church, learn to say no to things and also read the signs of things around us and be willing to say no to people. Like, it, it's okay. You don't need that helmet that bad. We'll, we'll make you enough, or maybe we'll just take you um, and put you in a different position. I don't know. Whatever needs to be done with that. The wisdom of that story, of how they fail, really does apply to many spiritual matters and how people let their guard down and also learn to say no. And this whole idea that you got to go low before you can go high, that's how you open yourself up to being conquered by Cyrus the Great. Um, though Cyrus the Great did a lot of good things. If you're somebody in the city of... Um, like if you're a Jew from Babylon, it's pretty great. You get to be free and go back home, and he's even kind of going to finance you to be rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But if you're Babylon, <laughs> not so great. It's not so good. No, <laughs> if you're if you're up there in Sardis, probably not so great. No, not not good at all. Going from an independent nation to a dictated one. Mm. Yep. Well, and this is this is very important to know that with all the earthly kingdoms and kings, there is in this Advent season a celebration of. Uh, and to us is born a king, but more than that, the, the Christ is coming again. Uh, he pretty much says it right here, like a thief in the night. And I, you know, whether you interpret that as he's coming um, and your your life is over with, it's dead, or is it the second coming? Um, you know, that's another debate. Sure. But at the end of the day, there is the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords, in Christ Jesus, and a a righteous King whose kingdom will not end. Praise yep. God. Amen. With that, thank you for joining us. We are Kingdom of the Lagash. You can follow our page and like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can download our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, a lot of different other podcasting sites. You can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Lagos. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.